Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Pune Sci-Fi Book Club. Uh, today we are discussing James S. A. Corey's Leviathan Falls, the ninth and final book in the Expanse series. Instead of our regular hosts Vivek and Varad, we have with us a very special guest, Rohit, who is an avid fan of the Expanse series and an actual rocket scientist to boot. So, welcome, Rohit. Thanks for having me. Okay, so the way that the show works is that we'll spend the first few minutes doing a spoiler-free review of the book, and then dig into the details of the book in the second part of the episode. I do want to point out that we will have spoilers for the first eight books of the Expanse, and depending on the on how the discussion goes, we might also talk a little bit about the TV show. So, if you haven't read the previous books, we're probably going to spoil something for you. If you haven't seen uh, all of the episodes of the TV show, we'll spoil something for you most likely. So with that out of the way, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the setup of the book. So we continue from the events of uh, Tiamat's wrath. Uh, the crew of the Rossi are trying to survive and organize the underground against Laconia, and we read many chapters from each of their viewpoints. We also have Conrad Tanaka, who had a brief cameo in Persepolis Rising. She's on a special mission from the Admiral Anton Trejo. Uh, who's continuing to lead Laconia in the absence of High Consul Duarte. And finally, we follow Dr. L.V. Okoye, who's trying to understand the history of the protomolecule builders and how they were wiped out by the extra-dimensional aliens. So I'm just going to call the extra-dimensional aliens the enemy from here on out. So that's the setup. And I'll let Rohit chime in now. So what did you think? I thought it was a fabulous book. It really buttoned up the series quite well. As always, a couple of loose ends here or there, but for most part, it did a really good job with uh, giving us closure for uh, some of our favorite characters whom we have been invested in for the last eight books. I really like the book. So that's that's really interesting. So for our five or six listeners here, this is the second recording of this podcast because Rohit forgot to record his end. when we had this conversation the first time around that is and not so, entirely true i recorded 10 <laughs> minutes of it you recorded 10 minutes of it of course so anyway i mean that aside i i feel like that's interesting because the first time that we talked about this you were not so enthusiastic about the book and i just want to hop back to episode 3 of the podcast serious where i started out the episode not liking the book very much and by the end of it having had that conversation with Vivek i realized that i did in fact like the book quite a bit so is is that what happened to you rohit then that that is very much what happened to me i didn't find myself too enthusiastic about the way it ended as i mentioned there were a couple of loose ends and i think i let the moment sweep over me and i thought those loose ends were bigger than they actually were but in the grander picture of things these authors have pulled off a nine book saga and think they actually did a reasonably good job so i did change my mind after that conversation okay that's that's really cool so i'm not the only one who changes my mind midway through a conversation that that's good okay so so let's delve into the setup a little bit without getting into spoilers so the main big thing is that duarte has gotten his mind back and then he just disappears and then you have colonel aliana tanaka who had a cameo appearance in Persepolis Rising as uh, the original security officer for Medina station when Laconia captures the station so she gets kicked out by Jilly Singh or whatever that dude's name is and uh, she disappears and we think never to be seen again but she returns here as a main character uh, she is one of the viewpoints in the book and then the Rossi crew they have picked up Teresa the, the high consul's daughter and are carrying her around on their adventures and they don't think that the ship is a safe place for her to be so they want to drop her off at a safe harbor and are also looking to keep the underground running and somehow defeat Laconia and then finally the last main character whose viewpoints that you see is Dr. Elvi Okoye she's researching the protomolecule builders and trying to figure out what happened to them and learn if there's any way to fight back against the enemy or defeat the enemy or even just get some kind of protection from the enemy uh from all the attacks that they've started facing so that's that's the broader setup there's 
the a fair number of kind of character arcs here i found the whole tanaka character quite interesting i mean she's annoying but also i think they do a really good job of showcasing her trauma at one point from events that that have happened or are unfolding in the book and i think that whole section is handled quite well like you you really do feel the the fear and panic that she does so i i thought that character was quite well done and then the rossi crew are are off on their own arcs i think all of them get decent kind of closure and yeah the, the only character that i feel kind of bad about is lv because i feel like she's just kind of being stretched too thin trying to keep this whole enterprise running so yeah enough talking from me what did you think i think tanaka was actually one of the main focuses of this book and as readers we don't really know too much about her so it makes sense that the authors had to dedicate a reasonable amount of of real estate in that book to give us a backstory about who she is what really motivated her or what keeps her going that that yep. actually does make sense and lv did get the short end of the stick it sounds like a lot was riding on her and which which it was which it was which absolutely it was and it almost unfairly was but she did a reasonably good job with managing the folks who depended on her as well as to some degree keeping her compass of ethics still pointed true there were points where she was definitely tested and i think she handled that pretty well yeah i kind of feel bad for her because through most of the so where does she show up again does she show up in she definitely shows up on the illus book like that's the book no, that... no yeah, yeah. The, the, that's that's when she shows up first but there she's like she's she's not in this role yet but i think she only takes on this role in tiamat's wrath right like i think the whole thing with with the enemy attacking all of humanity really happens towards the end of persepolis rising and then uh, that's when holden tells duarte to go find okoye so yeah so she's she's mainly got a role in tiamat's wrath and then in leviathan falls and, and i i kind of feel bad for her because i feel like she tries to take the most rational and reasonable decisions and then no one listens in, to her in the face of and, the most unreasonable situations and, and the fact that no one listens to her like she tries to be reasonable and people are just like no you're wrong we're going to do this this stupid way and that's kind of it must be really frustrating to be her yeah um but i think we spoke about this the last time while okoye is the it's definitely from her viewpoint she's essentially serving a binding role in this book like the story is less about her and her struggles and more about what she's observing yep and it makes sense she is leading the science teams for all of laconia and she is the focus of all information so if information coming from her own studies from laconia and she's essentially summarizing all of it and making sense of it so I think her viewpoint was more of binding the past and the way out and less about her yeah, yeah that that makes sense and then what did you think about the the rossi crew's interactions with teresa I I thought the last time they had a small child on board was when they had May May when May. they had May on board at the end of Caliban's war which was pretty interesting. That was like a super small thing and she def I think back then they they probably were a little more optimistic than by Leviathan Falls by Leviathan Falls <laughs> they had seen some things like they definitely yeah, seen yeah. a lot more and um, that, that's that's true and essentially may was reunited with prax and they was they was happy they were just making a routine drop off of a relatively low profile passengers derisa duarte is the opposite of low profile though she is essentially the focus of all of the hunt in this book so so yeah so i, I guess to talk a little bit more tanaka has set out to find the high consul who's disappeared admiral anton treho i think also comes across as like an an lv like character but on the opposite side in that he's also trying to be reasonable and stay on top of really unreasonable events and things just keep spiraling out of control for him so i, I kind of feel for him even though he's i guess a, a bad guy he's taken on 
management of the empire in Duarte's absence and now that Duarte seems to have gotten his mind back he sent Tanaka to find her and according to Tanaka the best way to find the high consul is to find his daughter and then hope that she can somehow lure him into meeting her because she has Teresa so so she is on a chase trying to find Teresa the Rossi crew are trying to drop off Teresa and keep her safe and they, it it does seem like the, the crew has bonded with teresa to a, a large amount even though they spend most of tiamatrat on opposite sides of this war between the uh, the underground and laconia so i i feel like that interaction is quite good and i i really like the antics of the dog and how amos gets along with all of them so i i think that part is is quite nicely done Have you agreed that Muskrat is a dog or a dog analog? Isn't Muskrat a dog? No, I don't remember. Is Muskrat like a local animal from Laconia or was it something she brought I with her from Mars? I assumed that Muskrat was a dog. Hmm. <laughs> We're very dog-like bonding yeah. and affection and ways of displaying affection. So maybe. Yep, yep. Yeah, let's say it's a dog. Yeah, I mean, I I imagine that the Laconians must have brought some animals with them, so it's not unreasonable, I guess, that he would have a dog. That's so funny. Like laws of science say that when you go to a foreign planet, you kind of don't want to mix gene pools too much. You want to keep the local fauna and flora as pristine as possible. Missions to Europa or Titan have to be a certain class of cleanliness or sterilization. But I think that that depends on what you're trying to do, right? Like if you're trying to observe life on Europa, that's one thing. But if you're just going to settle on Europa, does it really matter? Like at some point, you're going to contaminate everything. That's true. Would you like to settle on Europa? I don't think so. <laughs> doesn't seem very nice. <laughs> They have avoided that moon, though, haven't they? Like in previous books, they have settled on Ganymede for sure for farming, and they had a research base on Io for military strategic reasons. It's it's hostile. It's it's essentially bombarded by Jupiter's radiation, so it's it's not really easy to detect or survey. But Europa and Callisto, not so much. not mentioned too much yeah you're right do they talk at all about titan because isn't that the other place where life might be discovered no they don't mention titan at all they mention phoebe as the place where they find the proto molecule yeah that's that's interesting so what else any any other stuff you want to talk about in the before we we dive into the details yeah i think the book did a pretty good job of also following like viewpoints are are what the book uses to describe the story from from each character's perspective but they do do a pretty good job of of bringing closure to the stories of the of Rossi's crew they show reasonably good evolution of Naomi Nagata from from an inconspicuous engineer on an ice hauler to a leader James Holden does exactly what James Holden does Amos almost unchanged and Alex comes to terms with his life decision I, so I think I'm that was really good. I'm going to contest you after the spoilers I'm going to contest you on saying Amos is unchanged but we we'll let that slide for now. I uh, really think he is unchanged like yeah he uh, yeah we will we'll get that we should we'll get yeah we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it after we'll, we'll have a debate about this but yeah leave that alone for now. Uh but yeah sorry go ahead you were saying about Alex. No I think Alex genuinely wasn't ever sure of what he wanted the books always hinted that he was looking for family and he found surrogate families all throughout the stories like yep. either in the ice haulers or in the rossi or in the crew of what's that what's that ship that bobby used to pilot or captain uh oh i i forgot the yeah but the other crew the 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 captured laconian uh, yeah. fighter right i, I forget what it's called Yep, so he he's essentially been on the lookout for family and he eventually figures out what family means to him and yep I think his arc also ended pretty well yeah, so yeah yeah I I think the the four lead characters had pretty good arcs uh I feel like Bobby also had a good arc even though her 
story obviously ends before we get to Leviathan Falls. But I, I did really like her character. And yeah, like after the spoiler, uh, in the second half of the podcast, I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, just TV show versus books, which characters uh, you thought were better in one or the other. Like I have my list and we'll see what you think. Okay, so I, I guess just your final review of the book and would you recommend that our listeners read it and so on. Go ahead. Okay, I would recommend every single person reads the Expanse series. This this entire series was amazing. Now, this book specifically, if you're asking me to pick between a number of books that I really, really like, I would probably put it in third or fourth place. It's a close tie. I, I can never... It flip-flops for me, but... So this is, this is third and fourth within the Expanse, right? Yes, exactly. In my view, yes, I, I agree. The Expanse, I think, is one of the... Uh, best science fiction series that I have read uh, recently. So I would definitely recommend the whole series. I, I recommend this end to the series. I think it is fairly well done. Uh, I would give it four on five, maybe a four and a half on five. And yeah, heartily recommend it. Uh, so that's all that we have for y'all before we get into the, into the guts of the books. So uh, see y'all on the other side. So now let's talk more about the plot. So what's the first thing you want to talk about? Let's go in the order of which things appear. Like, I am actually not surprised that Trejo picks Tanaka. Like, I thought about this and why bring a character from the past? But I remember that when Santiago Juli Singh essentially fires her from being the station chief, Trejo makes him reconsider, like seriously reconsider. He's like, yep, yep. says you're making a big mistake. So I think that was a clue that Trejo really valued her as, as an asset. And so bringing her back and then essentially delving deeper into her sort of makes sense. Instead of inventing a whole new character completely, which they could have done. The authors easily could have done. They just needed a, a pursuer sort of person, but... They picked someone who had a little bit of history. So that was, that was pretty neat. I, I actually think that that's very much their style. Like I, you, You'll see instances of this earlier in the series as well where like random characters that you thought were just one-off characters do come back once in a while. Like I, I think the biggest one was, um, gosh, what's the fourth book called? The Eyeless book. Havelock? Uh have Havelock was the main one, but also Basia. Oh yeah, that was uh, Praxis' friend. Oh. It was Praxis' friend from uh, Ganymede. From Ganymede, and so I, I think they do make a habit of bringing back these side characters. I think it's it's happened a couple other times in the books as well that I've noted, but I, I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. So yeah, like I I think that was a pretty good choice and getting to the the Tanaka bit like I I had complained about this before as well like I I thought the whole plot about how Tanaka first intersects with the Rossi crew is really really weak so some background for the listeners the the way that they meet is the Rossi crew want to drop off Teresa at some school on a planet called New Egypt and this is because Duarte has some distant cousin or something on New Egypt and they think that she will be safe over there. And Tanaka also has this information and that's the first place that she goes to look. And it just felt like a very weak pursuit to me where the pursuer makes one guess and gets it right on the first attempt. Yeah, I think sending one of the most valuable people in the entire system to school seems like such an anticlimactic thing to do. Where do we take the steerage kid? Let's take her to school. <laughs> that was pretty I, I don't. I don't think that that's unreasonable. It's just that why does it matter that it has to be some distant relative of Duarte, right? Like, you know so many people that you, you should have had so many contacts over your time running the, the underground. So, so just a small correction here. It's not Duarte's cousin. It's Duarte's 
deceased wife's either sister or someone else. So it's not someone directly related to Duarte himself. I think that may have been the allure that he didn't really publicize too much about his past and his... But why does it matter? Like, this is not someone that Teresa has ever met. So why does it matter that it's a relative versus someone that, let's say, Naomi trusts and... That's the thing that I didn't understand. So that that whole thing was really weak. Uh, so th- that's, I guess, the, the first big movement in the plot is that Tanaka intercepts the Rossi crew as they are about to drop off Teresa. Holden decides that he isn't going to hand over Teresa to Tanaka. And so they have a big firefight. The Rossi just about escapes. Amos has a hole blown through his chest, which I, this is actually something that I wasn't sure of. Does the hole actually heal or does he just go through the rest of his existence with a hole in his body? I think he does heal it. He does mention that it's harder for him to keep healing and that he's losing a part of himself every time he heals or something like that. So I think he mentions that he doesn't want to keep going through getting holes blown through him because he becomes less Amos and more proto-molecule with each healing Mm. cycle. But do you want to do like a, essentially a little bit of a synopsis? Yeah, you, you can you can do that. Go ahead. So, one of the first things that happens in the book is uh, Duarte regains his consciousness. He was essentially scattered into multiple fragments, not physically, but consciously into multiple fragments by one of the attacks in Diamant's trap. And he pulls himself back. And we don't really understand why till later in the book of why he manages to pull himself back, but he does. And he remembers essentially what he did while he was a, for want of a better word, a vegetable. He gains an interesting ability. So he can essentially project himself through space and time. So he can essentially hologram himself to anyone he wants to. Now, I never understood if he had that ability anywhere or only with places that are in the vicinity of of something protomolecule, like whether it's a ship or whether it's anything. What do you think? Um, that's an interesting question. So where do we see him appear? We see him appear to Trejo, which is on a protomolecule ship. So that makes sense. Well, to Teresa. He, he does. He on does the show Rossi. Up to Teresa once, right? On the Rossi. Yeah, and that's... they definitely don't have any protomolecule. Oh, Amos. He's protomolecule. I mean, they have Amos. Yeah. yeah, they have Amos. So, hmm. that, that's interesting. I, I had not thought about that. But I, I guess that sort of makes sense with the internal rules of the universe. With the way that Miller operated, I think that is consistent that he needed some bit of protomolecule to be able to show himself to hold in. So yeah, that, that makes sense. I had not thought about that. So that's Actually, that's I don't think he needs a protomolecule because towards the end, and we'll get to this part where he essentially shows his hand to the universe of what he's really planning to do. He does reach a large number of people who ne- who don't necessarily have proximity to protomolecule. I think Miller didn't have a choice because in the hierarchy of, of protomolecule affected organisms, Miller was essentially the protomolecule itself or the consciousness of the protomolecule. He wasn't an integrated being like Duarte was. So that does manifest in in multiple ways. Like he can't physically touch anything in ring gate system. He can't do anything. He can just talk to people who are in proximity. But I think Duarte definitely had the ability to project himself. In more places, but he didn't use it. That's essentially the point. He he doesn't yeah. really project himself to many places, just a couple of folks. And Trejo freaks out. He wants to find out how Duarte got this ability because I think he still believed that Duarte was uh, incapacitated. But by the time he reaches Laconia, he finds out that Duarte has escaped, and um, he grants Tanaka a lot of high-level access that is not normal for her station and yep. um, her sole mission is to find Duarte by any means and she has full access to Laconia's resources and the ability to deploy any personnel she wants. So essentially Tanaka is on a goose chase for Duarte and yep. she does find his his traces all over Laconia and then she finds out that he did in fact escape Laconia 
and her gut instinct is to think about his daughter Teresa as the one person whom he would try to to get in touch with um, after his escape. So that's why she's a son. He's she's after uh, Teresa Duarte, and that brings us straight in the path of the Rossi crew. So yeah, so that that's I think a a good overview of of how that intersection happens. Anything else you want to talk about that part of the plot? Because we we see Tanaka trying to chase them further in the book. but then you have the other element of all this which is what lv is doing which is trying to decode the memories of the proto molecule builders and this to me it feels like pretentious writing like all the bits where they are describing how the proto molecule they just trying to describe the history of the proto molecule and it just felt that oh you hate interludes was, don't you I hate the interludes because it just—I—I <laughs> I, I hated the Miller interludes back on uh, in the fourth book, and I—I I hate them in this book. Like it's just—it's writing that is intentionally very, very hard to follow, and and they are also aware of that because they have to keep explaining stuff that happens in the interludes uh, through exposition from one of the main characters saying that oh this happened there and and that's when you understand that oh that's what that interlude meant and it's just it felt like a waste to me but regardless that that's how you kind of learn about the history of the proto molecule aliens and so they were just some kind of jellyfish that maybe grew up on like a, a europa like planet which was mainly just an ice crust and water underneath with heat coming from the core of the planet we should probably mention that the way elvis figuring all of this out is um, the crystalline or diamond like structure they found in one of the star systems which they yep. surmised was probably the library and they used the two twins from uh, cortezas experiments yep. the the relatively young looking but by no means age wise young kids who did seem to have a connection to the proto molecule that neither Amos nor Duarte for that matter seem to have like it's just those two twins that seem to have a deeper connection so she she realized that early on probably in Tiamat's rat that she's essentially brought the twins along with her to yep. the diamond which in this book they call it the BFE i mean you can, you can call it the big F in emerald <laughs> the big F in emerald yes but we should clarify it's still a diamond it just is green It's it's a green diamond, but yes, continue. Like it's just it's it's some kind of jellyfish that ended up creating a hive intelligence. I don't really have any strong opinions on the choice of description for the proto molecule aliens. Like that was fine, I guess. But I I don't think I don't know if it was obvious to other readers, but. Uh, for me this is the first time that i understood that the gates were sort of these extra dimensional shortcuts in 3d space and so it, it reminded me of the, of the three body problem which has like a vivid description of of higher dimensional space so that was kind of interesting that that they allude that the who i call the enemy they are extra dimensional and therefore the way that the gates operate is that they are maybe located next to each other in 4d space but in 3d space they are very disparate points in in space so it made it more understandable from a science fiction perspective like that's a concept that i have seen before i have some understanding of rather than just oh magic thing that lets you go from teleport from point a to point b so that 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 was i thought well done so what did you think of the aliens i, I mean it was still relatively magic They did cover one of the plot holes, which was to pull off something of this scale of the number of universes to which they had uh, wormholes. They needed immense amounts of energy, and energy is the reason why the extra-dimensional beings are attacking beings. They're the enemy, Rohit. You're not like humans. Well, are you well, anti-human? I am not anti-human. Definitely, like we sounds, don't even know like what. It's an like anti-human. Who says that the enemy on the other side is not human? We have no idea. We just know them as tendrils that that appear as tendrils on this side, but we have no idea what those enemies essentially look like. We'll get no, to. You're doing this wrong. You're, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> they're the unknown, and therefore we must hate them. <laughs> that is the way. 
that is the way uh, but anyway continue so the protein molecule creators which as you mentioned were jellyfish that definitely got me thinking about evolution if you had to create hive mind you probably want to start from a very low level being to pull it off and maybe that's why they were successful in becoming hive mind is they realized early on what kind of benefits they got from being a hive mind without really having experienced the drawbacks of being hive mind they were low level organisms and they decided to form hive mind very early on so i guess they didn't really have a concept of liberty or self determination or will or individuality and i wonder if if there are other life forms maybe that have followed similar path early on in their evolution where they realize that forming a hive mind is a path to to becoming a successful species that was fun that's it's an interesting choice and also one for the reasons that you mentioned like i can believe that we are sure that's possible like it doesn't seem outlandish to me i should clarify i'm at the 42 minute recording mark and it's not shut down so i've already made progress from last time <laughs> yes yes this this will be on on the final recording so that our listeners can pat you on the back for this <laughs> so yeah i mean the protobolical creators from what we understand were jellyfish like organisms and they brush up the parts where they go from being completely useless to having suddenly developed an engage system like they don't really touch upon that i found that odd considering that the authors thought that it's relevant for readers to realize that the protomolecules came from jellyfish like organisms who were just essentially making connections like they do go deep down and say they were just learning how to make connections and then zap they've made an entire ring gate system that was a little jarring of an evolution without really providing context but there's only so much you can do with with a few hundred pages so i kind of understand that choice yeah i, I think th- there there were lots of things that i felt were cut or maybe never written due to the limitations of book length so transitioning from the hive mind of the proto molecule aliens to what duarte's plan was so it it seemed that the hive mind was able to counteract the effects of the enemy but the physical forms that the proto molecule aliens took were very very fragile and therefore uh, with whatever attacks the enemy was sending through the ring gates they were able to just physically wipe out the proto molecule aliens and duarte's whole observation is that those attacks don't work well on humanity yet and if he is able to harness all of humanity into a hive mind that cannot be physically destroyed by the enemy then he can keep the ringgates open ward off the enemy maybe even defeat the enemy and create some kind of new future for humanity and i feel like i may have provided a better description of his views than the book ever did because the the book gives him only the the prologue and everything else is just learned by inference from the people who know him and so that's kind of frustrating i feel as well like i feel like there should have been his point of view should have been fleshed out a little bit more that it just felt weak that oh he's doing this thing and and we have no real understanding of why he's come to this conclusion why he thinks it's a good idea there was none of that I actually don't think so. I don't think Duarte was a main character as much as we we would like to believe that every story needs like a well fleshed out protagonist and antagonist. He stood at the end of the day he was not a main character. Like we weren't invested in his his journey to be from who he was to what he became. He was just providing story points where our main characters could essentially intercept and give us a story it didn't really matter why he wanted to do it i think they mentioned that his his goal is to see humanity as a successful species with no wars no diseases no infighting just just doing the best it can and his first attempt at doing it was 
through Laconia where he thought that if he was a supreme emperor that lived forever, he could bring his vision to bear, that he wouldn't be prone to the weaknesses of other strong leaders in history of humanity where they were limited by their lifespan. And he could actually see his vision through and then hand it off to his successor, who he thought his daughter should have been. Yep. But then he was he was dismantled by one of the extra-dimensional attacks because he was part proto-molecule. And then he realized yep. that he couldn't do it by himself and he needed everyone's assistance in the form of a hive mind and that there would be no need to have a kingdom called Laconia. They would all just be a nameless form, identityless civilization. That probably could have been successful, but it wouldn't be humanity as we understand it. Yeah, I mean, it, it would just be something else entirely, right? Like, it would be a different species with very different goals for what they wanted to do. So, I sort of disagree with that, uh, but sure, yeah, like, we can just have different opinions there. That's fine. Um, the, the one thing I did want to bring up was this whole notion of stealing power from a different dimension or a, or a different universe or whatever that reminded me a lot of the Asimov book uh, the gods themselves which spoilers for a 70 80 year old book uh, was uh, had a, a similar kind of theme where humanity discovers a way to extract energy from an alternate uh, universe where the laws of physics are just slightly different and exploit that to their advantage and so that uh, I think felt like it, it was a, a tip of the hat or a reference to Asimov. That same concept has been borrowed in a lot of science fiction like the Stargate series I think does it too where Rodney McKay I think comes up with a way to extract energy but then he's doing it at the expense of a different universe and I think there's a show called Fringe and it doesn't really extract energy, but they're essentially making a mockery of space-time and it's coming at the cost of another reality. So I think the broad theme is energy can neither be created nor destroyed and it's kind of universal throughout all realities and all universes. So that's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay, so, so let's, I guess, move on to the ending. So we have, what happens finally in the end is Duarte is found to be on the protomolecule station in the slow zone and he has successfully started trying to meld parts of humanity's consciousnesses together and you can see that with increasing panic as more and more people get pulled into this consciousness and ultimately Tanaka finds him, tries to reason with him and then just rips him to pieces with her bare hands and loses her life in the process. Uh, along with her on this journey are Teresa, who's there to try to talk down Duarte from doing what he's doing, and then Holden with a cameo appearance by Miller's protomolecule ghost, who's there to help her navigate the station and get to Duarte. So it ends with Holden taking on the harness that Duarte was wearing, and he decides to shut down the gates, sacrifices himself in the process. He has Naomi broadcast a message that everyone should leave and all of humanity is going to be disconnected because he's just going to shut the gates down. That's the only way to solve the problem of the enemy while allowing humanity to be what humanity is. And I thought that was like a very, very good ending for Holden. Like it, a price had to be paid to solve that. And I think Holden sacrificing himself was very, very true to the character that you came to know in the nine books. So I would agree. And they actually showed some growth for him to like Holden from, from book one would have probably sacrificed himself as well for humanity. But this time he's also making an intentional decision to sacrifice not just himself as the price to be paid, but a reasonable amount of humanity in the process. Like it's, it doesn't yes. come across that way, but not all of the civilizations in all the gauge systems were self-sustaining. Probably a handful, maybe less than 10. And there were at least 50 or so or more that they've suggested were out there and relied on inter-gate trade. So he was very intentionally shutting down that entire system and sentencing them to death. 
but he was okay with it and he knew that he had to do it so that the rest of the civilizations could survive and that is growth for him he was ready to let go he was ready to let go and i feel like he was not reactive i feel like his actions in the past they come from a good place but they always felt kind of reactive whereas this felt very measured and thought through so that that was good you're, you're right it was growth yeah and to give some context holden in order to to figure out how to get inside the station injects himself with proto molecules so that he can talk with miller knowing fully well that his lifespan is is now limited by how quickly the proto molecule dissolves him inside out and that's probably why he can also interface with the station right. now and take to our test places he has proto molecule running within him yep that that makes sense Okay, you were talking about Alex and his search for family. So, do you want to talk about his ending? Yes. So, that was a little weakness in the story. Alex's son. So, he's shown as a minor character and he does get some point of view where his son Kit has essentially had a child. So, Alex is now a grandfather and he knows that he's a grandfather and something I think deep down he always wanted and he presumed that at the end of all of this, if he was still alive, he would get to spend time with his family so his son makes a transit through one of the gates and the extra dimensional attack hits their ship it's probably around the time when duarte starts kicking in the defenses of the ring system so they are saved from being completely atomized and destroyed but alex's grandson starts suffering from seizures I didn't quite understand why we needed to know so much about his son and his grandson other than okay they were part of the thing maybe just so that it could have been an Alex point of view I didn't understand why it needed a point of view of his son I I think that that made sense to me having that point of view one because it created one of the few legitimate points of tension in the book because in most books right you know that the lead character is like nothing really bad is going to happen to them no one writes depressing fiction where all of the protagonists die a horrible death so you never really feel a sense of threat towards the main characters and the thing with kit was showing his point of view and showing how important he was to alex i think as a reader i certainly felt very invested in kit's well-being and when you reach that point in the book where the extra dimensional aliens are making kit's ship disappear I was very much like no 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 this this cannot be happening this should not happen poor Alex does not deserve to have his son disappear like this and he he should have his grandson like I thought that was one of the few points of legitimate tension in the whole book and I thought it also explained very well the difference between disappearing into nothingness or not disappearing into nothingness because I think the epilogue of Abaddon's Gate, I think, is uh, the one where one of the Laconian ships disappears in a similar manner, and you have just that little brief view of of what that looks like. And so you see all of the same stuff happening, and then it suddenly gets reversed. Like I thought that was like a pretty cool description, and I think really drives home the point that oh, something has changed, and Duarte is able to actually protect humanity. So I, I actually thought that that was good. Having that whole section was good. That's fair. Yep. So getting back to Alex. when he finds out that his son has taken a contract in a different system he didn't know that the ring gates were going to shut down and he probably assumed that he could make back and forth transits between living on the rossi living a life on the run and seeing his son and his grandson but when the ring gates shut down and he's faced with a choice he finally realizes what family really means to him and he makes the decision that he is going to start life anew on a different system with his son and his grandson now we are left in a little bit of a limbo whether he actually does make it to them or not because as he's making the transit out of the system it's shown that the rossi is suffering from some some technical trouble so we don't particularly know if he does make it out or not what do you think does he make it out or would you like to believe he that he makes it, it out, out? <laughs> cuz he makes it out Just literally um, nobody thinks that that poor Alex dies uh, on the Rossi while trying to go meet his family. That that doesn't happen. Well, if um, he was meant to make it out, the authors would have clarified. You must be fun at parties, Rohit. 
think I'm getting a kick out of this. Okay, so yeah, so Alex got his happy ending. I I was pleased with that. We we'll get to Amos, but I feel like Naomi, she had a great arc, like you mentioned in part one of the podcast. I I think she had a really great arc going from uh, a nondescript person who wanted to be in the background to. this main character the only thing that i would have liked was for naomi to receive a message from philip like i think that would have just made it for me because that i felt was like the one loose end that they didn't tie up and and i think that's that's fine like not everybody gets a happy ending to to their arcs but it just felt like for for all that she had endured and all that she had lost with holden it would have been nice if she had just got like one message from philip that he was just alive I mean yeah for a happy ending baby but maybe not for the kind of arc that the authors were going for because by the end of it she just had Amos on her side she had lost Philip seemingly because we don't know if he reached out or not she definitely lost Holden she lost Alex and she lost a lot of her belt of friends whom she knew probably some probably scattered in other systems so It doesn't seem like family was ever going to be a thing that she was going to have. She can't can't she have just one thing. <laughs> she became an amazing leader. She went toe to toe with Trejo who was essentially uh Yeah, but that's that's not something that she wanted. She didn't want that though. It's not a choice. She was just <laughs> thrust into the role and she she, she thrust did into it. the role. And she did it amazingly. She, she, she did it well, yeah. Like I, I don't disagree with that. Like I think she did a great job. Okay, so then moving on to Amos, which brings us to the epilogue. So the, do you want to talk about the epilogue, Rohit? Yep. So the epilogue is the ring systems have already shut down. This is several hundred, if not thousands. I don't think they really clarify how many years in the future it is, but it seems like humanity has discovered faster than light travel, and a different system ship is making the transit to Earth. it arrives on earth and amos is one of the people on earth who is greeting them so that gives us a clue that whatever changes the proto molecule made to resurrect him have essentially made him either an immortal or a really long life span being which is also hilarious because that is what duarte wanted to be but someone like amos who ends up succeeding in being <laughs> that kind of a being yep there's a, a nice turn of events but Yeah. Amos is still a bruiser. Like I he's still a bruiser. He's he's essentially there politely threatening he's, slash he's welcoming. He's an enforcer. Yes, he's an enforcer and I don't disagree with that, but I think his motivations like not even his motivations. I think throughout the series they they make it a point to show that Amos stays with the Rossi because he wants to be good, but he doesn't know how to be and Holden's conscience is what he outsources his own conscience to like he finds holden he decides that holden is someone good and in order for amos's actions to be good his thoughts are not necessarily good but in order for his actions to be good if he follows what holden tells him to do then he can fulfill his objective of trying to be good and i feel like this epilogue shows that amos finally finds what being good inherently is and he's able to figure that out and i think that is a big character growth moment for him because they show him struggling with that through all of the books through all of like the weird stuff that he does that big fist fight he gets into with bobby where she nearly kills him and his general interactions with people that he doesn't trust and what he is right at that end where he's like oh i'm going to protect these people for the sake of protecting them and not because holden told me to do it like i think that's a that's a big growth thing to me I don't think so. I mean, I think that Amos has always been someone who needed a a moral compass to figure out what he's supposed to do. I think he wants to do good, but he needs a moral compass. So he bases his good or bad based on either a person or something he believes in. I think nothing about that has changed. Like he has decided that No, but I, he, I don't think I don't think Amos from book 1 to 8 believes in anything. He still doesn't. Who says he does? In book one, he was someone who listened to Naomi Nagata. Throughout the entire series, he starts believing in Holden as as that compass as well, and then he starts expanding the orbit to Alex as well. So he Alex is in his orbit, and then after that fight with Bobby, she starts coming into his orbit, 
then he brought yeah, but, in but that's my that's my point like there is nobody in the epilogue it's him it's him who shows up alone to meet these people and i think that is signifying that he has broken out of needing to rely on other people for his conscience like he has his own conscience well he he grew from needing a couple of people to to essentially enveloping the entire earth in his orbit of this is whom i will protect he needs someone to protect he chose the earth that doesn't mean he's good like earth has been shown multiple times in this book to have seemingly not good motivations either to mars or to the belt and if that kind of civilization still survived like if there was still a mars and if there was still a belt in this future thing we have no idea who, whether amos is on side soul system or just side earth like from this interaction it just looks like he's on side earth he doesn't believe Hmm. necessarily in good or bad he's just chosen I'm, that he's I'm not, ready to I'm not going to let you ruin Amos's character arc for me <laughs> I mean in big real like he threatens this delegation on behalf of the earth that's about yeah. it yeah I mean okay whatever we'll, we we should we should start wrapping things up now we, I think we're getting close to the one hour mark uh, we'll, we'll disagree on, on Amos as well so one thing I wanted to talk about the epilogue was that it definitely felt like it was a reference to Ursula K. Leguin's Hamish cycle because that that has a similar idea of this species called the Hain uh, seeding different planets with humanoid life and then losing contact with them and the books of the Hainish cycle are just first contact stories with all of the different hain offshoots in in the galaxy and so this the, the epilogue felt very much like that that humanity had just been severed from its roots and severed from each other and they just take independent development paths on whatever system they landed up in and once i guess one of them figures out faster than like travel they start reestablishing that contact so that 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 was pretty cool okay so so the last thing i want to do is do a quick round of book versus tv show which character did you think was better where so i i only have some listed here if you have other characters you want to bring up uh, that's fine by me but let's go quickly through my list uh, holden book i thought they were both equally good emus tv show i agree i think tv show emus was much better and i think west chatham does a great job as Steven Strait was was great as as Holden as well. So yes, Amos TV was better. Now TV show. Like every time I I read the books after the TV show and I think about the characters, I see Naomi Nagata from the TV show. Yeah, I I I also wrote down TV show for Naomi. What about Alex? Book. I I agree because I think they explore a lot about Alex's. need for family like all the stuff you talked about and also how he is the glue that holds the rossi together i don't think they show that a lot on tv so yeah book definitely better what about absarla oh tv show 100% really? really i mean the character yes like she doesn't get as many opportunities to be a badass as she does in the book because tv shows almost always have to uh, cut a lot of content for time but it's, as it's someone who back. Go ahead. Finish all your things. I mean, as someone who you would imagine is a states person, I think Shore did an excellent job of portraying Avasarala. Like her, her demeanor, her everything is what I would have imagined Avasarala to be. I, I I agree with that one hundred percent. But I don't like the stories that they follow with her in the TV show. Like that whole thing in Nemesis Games where she is. become the the secretary general of the UN and she just comes off as like a very conniving person looking for personal glory whereas the the book of Sarla is always very selfless in that regard like she is absolutely a, a very strong adversary and not someone you would want to get into a fight with but her motives are very impersonal and very much what is the best outcome for the earth and so i i just she she comes off as a larger character in the book versus the tv series to me and i i also like that the book humanizes her in caliban's war like her very brief interactions with may are very very sweet and a joy to read so uh, i i think they're very close but i would i would say book fair enough okay what do you think about fred johnson 
book <clears throat> because they actually had an opportunity to display Fred Johnson in his full glory like his past his demons his actions everything tv fred johnson just did not get enough airtime agreed i i also said book and i i think the the biggest sticking point for me between uh, the tv series and the book for fred johnson is his motivation for becoming a better leader in the tv show they show that he was told that or rather he was not told that anderson station was it anderson station was trying to surrender and he blew them up so he was deceived into blowing up anderson station something that his superiors wanted done whereas in the book he consciously destroys anderson station even though they are surrendering and i think to go from there to becoming a belter leader i think shows much more character growth than just you were deceived into doing the bad thing and now you you carry the guilt of that versus you consciously did a bad thing recognize that you did a bad thing and tried to make that better i i thought that just made his character a lot more honorable i guess in that regard or the version of him that you get to see in the books i thought was much more honorable for those reasons that's fair okay what about bobby tv show bobby i think it has to be tv show bobby like frankie adams is fantastic in that <laughs> she is she really is and i've had the joy of seeing her in person she is an extremely exuberant person she's like <laughs> super high energy <laughs> yeah I, i can believe that um what about clarissa ooh book clarissa book clarissa had more depth uh, agreed book clarissa for me too any other characters you want to talk about before we wrap up hmm no i think that covers it Ca- uh, drummer drummer is a big change between the tv shows and the book and tv drummer is awesome yeah i think tv drummer is just like a new character i uh, there is a book drummer but i think she's very different to tv drummer so but yeah like t- tv drummer is fantastic like kara ji i think is brilliant in that role and i really enjoy her whole character though i i haven't yet watched season 6 so we'll see how it all pans out i don't know if she's there or not but we'll see how it pans out so when the cast um, of the expanse came to blue origin for like essentially a meet and greet with us kara was probably one of the most cheered people because she represents an engineer that we all really aspire to be like she is shown as the engineer who knows things and also gets it done so we yeah. we really like meeting drummer in person okay so yeah i i think that that covers everything that i wanted to to touch upon uh, so yeah once again in conclusion leviathan falls i i think is a great book the expanse is a great series and if you haven't already read the books you definitely should and if you've read none of the books and you're here i think it's it's safe to start reading the books now because you'll forget everything we said in the podcast by the time you get to book 9 so highly recommend this book and uh rohit any other thoughts it's a great series it's hard to keep something going for nine books that's a very long time and the authors did a reasonably good job of keeping everyone engaged like even the low point what we think were the low points they were not low by any means there was still there were still patches in there that were equally exhilarating and i love that the science in the expanse series is is approachable like that's that's what draws a lot of people to the expanse series is, is some of the things that proto molecule of course is is a one thing that is shown to be not normal but every other thing every other science that they bring has reality reasonably rooted in it so as science fiction goes i think the expanse is a very approachable series yep i i agree with all of that okay so uh, thank you to all of our lis- listeners for sticking with us this episode has gone a little bit longer than than we usually go but there's so much to talk about in the expanse uh, just a quick reminder our next book is going to be the long way to a small angry planet by becky chambers uh, i have read this book before uh, and i'm rereading it for uh, the next episode of the podcast it's one of my favorite books Uh, maybe my favorite science fiction book that i've read uh, in the last couple of years so i'm super excited to talk about that and hopefully we'll see you then thank you